it's not all the same things, but they're all part of the same experience. Hmm. Absolutely. And so I understand that for most, if not all Asian Americans or Asians overall, self-advocacy is something that we struggle with, but Hmm. self-promotion is something that we actually try to run from. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a huge distinction that we need to make. But when it comes to self-advocacy, it's kind of like you got to own your, you got to own it for everything that you've done. And so that really comes down to like just making those specific marks that like these things happen in your life, like marking them on your social media, like telling people um, within your network of the things that you did. It could be as simple as like, oh, I got a promotion, like putting that in that LinkedIn. That's self-advocacy work. And it may be uncomfortable, but the thing is, it's only hurts people in the future if that isn't done today. You're listening to the Big Asian Energy Show, where every week we interview Asian experts, move makers, and ceiling breakers to uncover their secrets to success so we can help you reach your greatest potential. I'm your host, John Wang. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Big Asian Energy with your host, I'm John Wang. Today, I'm talking to Leong Zhao, who is the CEO of Vansory, a marketing consulting agency created to help elevate underrepresented BIPOC voices and brands like creative partnerships, branding, media presence, and community relationships. She went down originally the conventional corporate path through grad school, the whole educational path that most of us take a look at until about six years ago when she realized that something was missing. And it wasn't until deep within her corporate career that she realized that she was Asian, which is an interesting idea because we are Asian, but that discovery of self and that realization of a void within herself that she was feeling through work and the self-rejection of identifying as Asian for the longest time ended up bringing her down a path of self-discovery and self-exploration. Today, we are going to take a look at topics like identity, about what kind of roadblocks that many Asian Americans run through either in their own career paths or their development of their businesses. Welcome and thank you so much for being on the show today. Leon, before we jump into the actual questions, I want to bring up something and I want to own this because it was my screw up. I mispronounced your name, not just once, but twice. (laughs) And that was so disrespectful. I apologize first and foremost. I wanted to bring that up so we could talk a little bit more about it. John, it is, I just want to say it's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I am so excited for us to have this conversation because this is something we both feel so passionate about. Also, thank you for owning it. (laughs) You are a man of your word for the fact that you publicly just owned it. Super cool. I respect that so much. But so funny because my name is Leong. It's spelled L-I-A-N-G. It was my grandfather who no longer is with us that named me when I was very young. And the way that it's spelled is a part of the Chinese word Liang Nu, which means beautiful girl. And my family joked that when I was young, when I was first born, that I was an ugly baby. And so because of that, I think it was like my grandfather trying to put good energy out there and manifest a more beautiful person in the future. But so that's the origin of my name and kind of the fun family joke about it. I'm not the first person to have gotten it wrong. I hope, oh, right? Oh, gosh. God, you are <laughs> definitely not the first, and I don't expect you to be the last. Especially for Asian Americans, because many of us have had this experience, right? In growing up, we've had two names. We've had our names from our language of ancestry or language of origin. And for me, that's Z Yang. 
And then my sister named me John because it, she just thought that it was fun to put the two words Ziyang together and say it super fast. And But then some of us, we experience that transition of adopting or exploring an English name. Is that something that you resonate with? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in China. I was a part of a really big community when I was living in China, Henan province. My family and I immigrated to the U.S., to New Mexico in particular, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, at the age of nine, and not a big Asian community whatsoever. There was a small church group of Asians, and so that's really where we belonged. My elementary school, when I first came over, only had one other Asian kid across all five grades. And I definitely stood out for having a very Chinese name. Hmm. And it was in my first year of middle school that I decided to actually see if I could should adopt like a Western name. So I adopted the name Angela only because it was really fun to spell out and to write in cursive. It's such a fun motion to take when you're writing that word. Literally after a few months, I was like, this is a me. And also this feels disrespectful to the name that my grandfather gave me. And so I went back very quickly to Leon. Fast forward to my corporate career. At that point, I had gone to school in the South, in New Orleans, Louisiana, and worked professionally in business development, also for a fintech startup company, making 100 dials a day to various businesses. And I can't tell you how many times my name got misspelled. I just became numb to it. So right. it stopped mattering, really. But it wasn't until my corporate career, though, when I started applying for much more meaningful, much more like goal-oriented roles, that my name started to become a little bit of an issue. And what I found in conversation, especially with other Asians at the time, was that having an extremely Asian name on a resume signifies the need for potential sponsorship down the line. Which for me, at that point, I was already an American citizen. We already naturalized when I was in college. But still, my name signified something as a part of a broader group of individuals for a corporation that they may or may not need to actually provide additional support. And I think that off the bat kind of pushed me back, I would say, of their list of potential candidates for mm -hmm. consideration. Mm -hmm. And so I remember it was when I put... I would say an, an adopted name for my Starbucks cup, my Starbucks order of the name Leah in parentheses in between Leong and Jal. Mm. That really was when I started to hear back even from the job applications that I had submitted. I like to think that wasn't it. It was just timing, but it's hard to not think about it as like one of the consequences of what playing the game can uh -huh. signify and accomplish as a part of this corporate world that we live in today. This is something that I also have heard of, not just to you, but other people. I think there was a recent story that went viral about a woman who tested this, like did A-B testing kind of thing, where she submitted resumes under her Asian name. And I think it was like a ZH name that some people struggled to pronounce. And then her more westernized name. And she found that she did get significantly more callbacks on the westernized name submissions. I would say it's something that has yet to be fully studied, but I would be completely unsurprised to find that this is something that companies do feel hesitant about. And it's one of the ways that we do see that a lot of people are getting held back in their careers as a result of is our names. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to know everybody's experience across the board when they use like an Americanized name or Westernized name, as well mm -hmm. as their given Asian name. Interesting and probably signifies something that we need to correct, I would say, because Yes, that is such an educational part of the process. I don't love getting into politics, but we are 
aware that we are living in a political time where being Asian American has some political connections. And there are also stories of people buying homes getting rejected because they're submitting documents on and buyer interest sheets with their Asian name as opposed to English names. And they're finding that is also one of those things that do get rejected. Do you find that when you work with your clients or the businesses that this comes up or other coworkers this comes up? Not in my current work, no, because right now being my own boss, getting to choose the type of clients that I work with, as well as running my own business, I really have the luxury. I have the luxury, but it's also very intentional on my part to specifically work with companies that are very inclusive, that mm. really practices what they preach. And then also they are like-minded individuals who are interested in working with individuals as well as firms that have more of a diverse perspective. So I'm very lucky. You asked me an earlier question, and I think I never got around to it, which was a quick introduction of myself. This is a big yeah. topic, and I feel like we could spend the entire episode on. A hundred percent. Okay, please. My name is Leon Jal. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I consider myself a New Mexican, just given the amount of green chili that really flows through my blood at this point. But by birth, I am Chinese. My family and I grew up in Hunan. And my father, after doing a two-year medical expedition in Sudan, took the leap, came over to the United States on a visitor's visa right afterwards. So within his six months that he was here, he ended up accomplishing one of the toughest things to do as an immigrant in this country, which is get a full-time job offer. So he became a acupuncture teacher, a teacher of traditional medicine in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that was really what started our immigration story here in the United States. As I was Growing up, some of the things that we talked about at the dinner table included how do you grow a small business? What are the issues? How do we navigate like the medical billing system? What does finding an office look like? Paperwork, marketing, websites, design, all these kind of things that comes with owning your own small business. But we never really talked that much about money. In college, it was really the lack of conversation, also bad grades too, in my accounting and my economics class. And I was like, what is this world? We're talking <laughs> about like millions and billions and like big dollar signs or talking about foreign exchange. What is all this? I don't understand, but there's so much money here. That's what really got me interested in the world of finance. And so I got my undergrad in marketing and communications, and then I have my master's in finance. And throughout that process, I had the opportunity to intern at a fintech company. This was a fintech company before the term fintech was ever invented. Hmm. And the company was called the Receivables Exchange. So very niche receivables financing for the fintech market for companies as a whole so that they can increase their cash flow when hmm. their customers aren't necessarily paying them within the terms of agreement. So super interesting. And with my role, I was literally making a hundred yeah. cold calls a day. Oh my like, God. Trying to understand what were people's receivables needs? Do they have any cash flow issues? Who picks up the call these days? No one answered. Yeah. And I was calling like large Fortune 500 companies, like a 3M to Pfizer, all the way down to the mom and pop shop in the middle of Nebraska. It was a huge learning curve. And my whole job was to like get people on the phone, get people who are interested. And then the minute they're interested in learning more, get them passed off to the sales team. And right. as you can imagine, it was absolutely brutal work 
dialing and dialing every single day without necessarily seeing like the end result of that specific call. That's really what I think helped me build so much resilience in my work too, that if something was to go wrong, it's okay. Like I could just keep going. And so that was something that I learned early on and something that I really held on to as one of my work attributes is that level of resilience too. But trying to get from an internship to a full-time role in New York, especially in financial services, was a lot harder than I had thought. Hmm. And so I got to New York by way of a globalization company, language services, which is one of my passions for sure of communication. How do we lessen the border effect of different countries? And I got to work with, again, like Fortune 500 companies across the pharmaceutical world, as well as medical device and helping different brands within pharmaceutical companies, clinical trials, translation work, websites, patents, Hmm. drug instructions, everything like that across over 20 plus countries of consumerism. So Hmm. super interesting. It was just so eye-opening to just understand the impact of what globalization means, but also Hmm. like how do big brands leverage language and communications? Uh, But again, I digress. Then I move into financial services Working again with super large companies at the age of 25 and we're like meeting with like chief investment officers of State Street. But, but hopefully not making a hundred calls now at this point. No, then it was maybe like 20 a day, but it was really great because I was in a service role. It was an account management role. I was working a lot with various portfolio managers, analysts, investment managers, just trying to provide information and data to them so that they can make investment decisions. And at that point, it was like drinking from a fire hose, trying to understand all aspects of the financial services market. How do people with a lot of money make a lot of money? I understood that. But when I was trying to tell it to my parents or my mom specifically, she was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. You, you were explaining your work at FinTech and you were like, super interesting stuff. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> Smarter people than I am will probably understand it, but I didn't quite catch that. So this is a topic I definitely want us to discuss because I actually think that these type of terminologies and creating jargon within the industry actually becomes a blocker for mm. those who are not coming into the field. And right. it's actually one of the ways that the door remains shut from Hmm. immigrants, those who are not necessarily a part of this community to stay out of it. And this is actually an area that I'm really passionate about that when we're talking about the world of financial assets, when we're talking about fixed income, mutual funds, ETFs, what are REITs? When we're talking about our own community, we're talking about like tangible assets that we can hold on to then that's mm-hmm. what we invest in. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest differences. Who's going to help educate our community around what is a REIT? What is mm-hmm. fixed income? How do we use a 401k vehicle or a Roth IRA and be mm-hmm. able to actually invest in different things that other individuals that have mm-hmm. invested in things and are making their money work for them? That's mm-hmm. a topic I'm so passionate about. It sounds like what you're saying is that a lot of Asian either immigrants or Asian Americans or Asian diaspora are finding it actually harder to understand it. It's almost like a gatekeep where because of the complexities of these terminologies, unnecessary almost, or at least without a clear bridge of understanding between the cultural understanding back wherever it is that we come from, Asia or Asian countries, to here that is creating a bottleneck for people to get in on the products that they have opportunities to get into? 100%. 
within the Asian American market, within our Asian American community, we understand small businesses. Asian mm -hmm. Americans are one of the, I would say the, the percentage of Asian Americans in the Americas who start small businesses as a way to provide, as a way to invest in themselves and gener build generation wealth. That percentage is higher than any other demographic. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't realize this because when I talk about Asian entrepreneurship and I say entrepreneurship runs in Asian American blood, they are surprised. But of course, especially if you think back to the, even the history of what happened during the Chinese Exclusion Act and that whole era, there were no job opportunities for Asian immigrants. You just didn't get hired at a company. So we opened restaurants, we opened small businesses, we opened stores, and that became the bedrock that the second, third, fourth generations got to rise. Yep, so true. Absolutely. And it's very interesting to see the progression where it's like for many of our parents or grandparents who did start small businesses, their wish for their children is to become a part of a larger organization so that they have that steady job income in 401k, health mm. insurance, because they wanted more stability for their own children. But then it's like you have this next generation of individuals who do work at these large firms, but then what? They mm. still then have a hard time getting promoted and getting to that executive level or that leadership position. And from there, they feel a bit more stuck. And for those individuals, they're at this little bit of a junction of, well, now what? It's mm -hmm. like, if I quit, then I feel like I'm uh, disappointing my parents because this is their dream for me. But at the same time, if I go against what they wanted for me, I'm off path. And at mm -hmm. the same time, I don't necessarily know what I'm going to do. Do I mm -hmm. start a small business? But would my parents like accept that? Was that a challenge for you when you decided to start <laughs> your own business? Not for me, but oh. the number of people that I've spoken to about this that have faced this specific issue or had their parents specifically say, I want you to work for a large corporation. I want you to have a good job, have a, work towards a you pension, have a clear path rather than go out on your own. It's the majority of people I've spoken to, but there oh, is wow. like a small subset of individuals who were like my parents or who, who was like specifically my mom, who was like, you're not going to always want to work for other people. You're going to want to start your own thing because there's a lot of freedom. Mm. And especially as a woman, it actually offers more opportunity than mm. working at a large company. And at the time, this was like years ago. And I was like, yeah, okay, mom, like I hear you, but I don't hear you. <laughs> Why as an Asian woman, you felt like it was even more of a, a challenge? I think that this goes back to the corporate structure. And this is another topic that I feel so passionate about. Asian women and Black women within corporate America have the least likelihood of getting promoted, of mm -hmm. being in a leadership position. For yeah. Asian women, it is one every single 124 individuals is in a position of power. And by comparison, it's one in every 45 white man and one in every 60 white women is in a position of power. So that's for comparison purposes. And for Asian women in particular, there's a mixed bag of bias, discrimination, sexism, that all is a part of the cocktail that makes it really difficult for Asian women in particular to rise up within mm. a corporate. My mom has always owned her small business, but I don't think that she really knew that, but it's as if she had like a sixth sense about it, but it's, that's exactly what I faced. And that's exactly when I realized 
that like I was Asian, but not only just that, I was an Asian woman within corporate within corporate world. What do you mean you realized? It's not like you suddenly discovered it as it was news. You always <laughs> known. Was it like a like an epiphany, like a moment of discovery? My assimilation story is one where to become a part of this world, I definitely mm-hmm. put aside a lot of my Asianness. This is a part of me that said I'm okay with my name being said wrong or mm. when people really struggle with pronouncing my name, I just told them, call me by my nickname, LZ, right. just yeah. by my initials. That's fine. Mm. Or even when I was in my corporate life, there was one individual that I worked with on a daily basis. He was saying my name so wrong for so many years that I literally didn't correct him until on my last day. And I was like, by the way, you have my name wrong. But that was on me, right? That was on me for not having corrected him earlier on. But it was also like a lack of education around how do you pronounce an Asian name? How do you like, and then to learn a little bit more about like the Asian, I would say the Asian just culture overall and heritage and everything else that's a part of it that just hasn't really happened up until like recent years. So Throughout my corporate life, we talked about needing to put in Western name in my re- on my resume to get a good job. And then I was one of the few women on the sales floor overall, and maybe mm. one of two people of color on that specific mm. sales floor, supporting a lot of financial institutions. That unfortunately is the world that we currently live in. And of course, people like us and many others are putting in the good fight so that we are able to increase representation. Because Mm -hmm. as we continue this fight, as we get more individuals into leadership roles, they will understand that they need a diverse group of workers, but also Mm -hmm. executive level so that they're able to make more inclusive decisions overall that are good for the business, but that's also good for the community as a whole. My specific challenge of not necessarily recognizing that I was an Asian woman in the workforce That didn't really happen until I was blocked so many times from getting promoted. Hmm. I would have an interview for a promotion and like I would be asked different questions than my white male counterparts that was a part of this interview. What the questions would be like? They would talk more about like life things and like how long had they been a part of the company? Who do they know? It was a lot more of just a soft interview. I would say rather than something where you're trying to get your first job type of things. Tell me about a situation where you didn't necessarily perform your best or there was like a crisis Mm. that happened. And then how did you overcome it? Where were your stats last year? How do you consider yourself to be successful in this role? How would you consider yourself successful in your past role? And what would you do in this role to be successful? And so it would much more like an actual interview compared to my counterparts, whose conversation was a lot more conversational. Because they were seen more as almost like a peer. You're more like me, we could just chat things out and there's a more personal relationships as opposed to there's almost this, the term perpetual foreigner syndrome, which is the idea that you look different from me, you are different from me. So therefore let me treat you more as an other. That's exactly right. And then there were also times where, you know, facing sexual harassment also was not the norm in financial services. And that also, of course, brought it to light that I was an Asian woman. And I will just say that much. And given those type of experiences really helped me recognize that regardless of whether or not I see myself as a Twinkie, as just like anybody else on this specific floor, other people did not. I just, I just had a moment where the word Twinkie kind of just registered. It was like, oh, (laughs) yellow on the outside, white on the inside. 
We use the term banana. <laughs> I like to think that I'm more of a Twinkie because Twinkies, they literally can be good for years, right? They don't age. They don't yeah, go bad. That's true. Yeah. And so maybe it's my way of manifesting my forever youth. Love it. I can sense, by the way, I just want to take a moment because this is a very close to home topic. There's so much passion that you have here, especially around talking about how do we help Asian Americans step more into that empowerment to take positions of power, positions of with the C-level kind of things. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the biggest struggles or the, th the biggest things that are in their way? We talked about names, we talked about the othering process or anything else that you feel like are in the ways of Asian Americans. There needs to be an internal discovery process of what the individual wants. I think across your platform, you talk a lot about, especially the first child syndrome and also the golden child syndrome too, where it's like, one, you're always at the service of others. Mm -hmm. And two, you are only as good as the value that you bring to others. Mm -hmm. And when they tell you good job, then you feel like you have a sense of self-worth. Mm -hmm. I 100% resonate with that so much as I look back in my on my teenage years and my early 20s it was always like how can I help how can I help what can I do for you and it was only like my self-satisfaction only happened when I was able to do something for someone else and throughout that journey I never really stopped to ask what is it that I want what does happiness to me look like and I think part of that is me being Chinese by birth and having a community and having a family structure that is very Chinese. But mm -hmm. at the same time, that's not the world that we live in. It's not the way that others around me view the world. And in order for me to succeed and for me to set an example for my daughter, as well as my siblings and those to come after, I have to also think about what does it look like for me to be of service to myself, but also to mm -hmm. others too. And what will create like a much more impact in the future across the board for like as many people as possible. Asking that question is really hard to, because it required me to do my own internal work. It also required me to actually look out into the market to understand like, what are some of the challenges that others like me, Asian women or Asians overall in America face? And then what are the challenges that my siblings are facing? And what are the potential challenges that my daughter, who's mixed race, she's going to face later on? There's so much here. It's like that you really dig into trying to understand what are the potential issues and then what can I do today like to start mm. problem solving and what are the things that I can do today to start changing the structure in which we live in so that it could be a better world for more people in the future and one of the things that I recognized was that it's I need to own it I need to own my power and to own the fact that I am a Chinese American woman and that I am one of the few individuals within public relations, but also within marketing and financial services as mm -hmm. a woman, as well as an Asian. Mm -hmm. And so there's power in that. And so instead of saying I am one of the few, and these are the things, and these are the headwinds that are against me, I need to think about it like, this is who I am. What are my strengths? And how do I stand out? And how do I, instead of thinking about them as headwinds, how do we think about them as wins in my sale. And Absolutely. so how do I make the system work for me? And by doing so, I will be able to propel myself forward. I will be able to create new paths for yeah. those who look like me, as well as for the community overall. Yeah. And not to mention, if there's any good that I'm able to do today, using my skill sets, even better. Mm -hmm. That was 
my discovery. That was like my aha moment after doing all of this work. I think that's such a pertinent idea. That's such a core point. I find that for many of us, myself, there is a discovery process that kind of comes through. When I was stepping into being Asian again, which is that self-ownership of saying, you know what, I do want to reclaim my culture as part of who I am. I had a friend, a very caring friend who's also Asian American, asked me a question of, are you sure you want to be doing this? Once you claim you're Asian, people put you in a box because you're, you're labeling that. Like, why would you do that? You've so successfully built yourself a path out of that. I, and I really thought about this because it was a really deep question for me. We do have an opportunity, but also a little bit of a, a responsibility, I think, that when we get to a point where we can claim our Asianness, we are also acknowledging that with this comes differences, uniquenesses, experiences. We have cultural backgrounds that are different. Our, we were talking about the, you know, the first child thing. There are familial dynamics in the Asian American community that just doesn't exist in the same way <laughs> in the Western cultures. As the firstborn, you have these roles that you have to play out as a kid. And we take that with us into the real world. So when we are acknowledging like, yeah, this is part of my past and this is part of my present and it's going to be part of my future and my kid's future, it's also acknowledging that we could trailblaze something different. We could create a different path. So that definition is different. You know, that role is different. Absolutely. I said that very beautifully. So I, I want to dive into this. What do you see as some of the biggest struggles that the people you work with, especially those you do work with BIPOC and Asian Americans, what would you say, especially immigrant-owned small businesses, what are the biggest blocks in their life now? I think overall, I work with various different types of customers. I work mm. with startup companies, major brands individuals within corporations who are in a leadership role, as well as investors as well. I think that everybody has a little bit of a differentiated story. And in public relations, it's so personal. It's literally an amplification of the individual as to who they are, and then trying to build a brand and a narrative for, for them specifically that can either further their personal or their professional cause, right? Mm -hmm. So in this process, it is a matter of self-discovery too. It's like mm -hmm. they have to go on their journey of trying to figure out exactly who they are, who mm -hmm. do they want to be publicly, and what do they want other people to know about them, whether it's them or their specific business too. And I think earlier in my career, this doing this work, I didn't really understand exactly how little amount of media coverage, not like movies and television shows, but specifically in like business news, like hmm. in the Wall Street Journal, like on Bloomberg, on TV, who are the individuals that are either interviewing or mm. are being interviewed that are seen as leaders in the industry and who are doing just like big things, right? Yeah. And I never realized then until I started doing this work, trying to understand exactly what is the Asian American story that like, I, where I really realized that there was such a lack of representation in this space. Mm. And so you mentioned earlier that we're starting to see representation in the media, in movies and TV shows and stuff. But the thing is, there's still such a lack of representation pretty much across all fields, across mm. all fields of business, education, po public policy, government, you yeah. name it. Like totally. Across all channels, there is a lack of Asian representation. Totally. And yeah. one of the biggest things is that like Asians are faced with the stigma that they're not born leaders. Yeah. <laughs> they can't 
And it drives me nuts. <laughs> I agree. It drives me nuts. I'm like, don't I, you understand how assertive we are? <laughs> oh my God. And that, I think that's one of the big myths that oftentimes holds us back, right? Like we're yes. polite and we're humble because culturally speaking, we were taught to be humble, but that gets misunderstood because we come from a collectivist culture. Now, first and foremost, Asians are not shy. I, I was having a conversation with somebody online. I, I think I posted a video and there was somebody who was like, I was posting about like the confidence of Asian Americans. I feel like Asian confidence looks a little bit different. Like it hits a little different. We're a little bit more like our confidence is like we could be in the back of the room and we could say one thing and drop the mic in that moment, but it doesn't have to be loud. Our confidence right. can sometimes be very quiet. And somebody wrote a comment and was just like, no, that's not true. Every Asian person I met is shy. I'm like, dude, have you met Asians? <laughs> have you ever been to a dim sum restaurant or like a night market? There is nothing shy about Asians. <laughs> we are not shy. Exactly. But especially, especially working with public relations, like competing to be seen and, and being seen, especially in a Western environment, does look different, right? It like, does look different. So there's a translation, I feel like, even yes. for Asian Americans, where we translate our Asian confidence, which is humble, but still hella strong, into what Western individualistic cultures would view as the same thing. I love what you just said. And I love the specific question because also this was the specific nuanced interpretation that I also needed to come through, come to too with my own oh. work, with my own self. Yeah. And one of the things that I had challenges with was like demonstration of leadership and the mm. ability to lead and the ability to succeed in my corporate life. Because everybody else was so boastful about what they were doing. You do 60% of the work and the rest of the 40% of the time is used to blow, or not blow, to gloat, right? And yeah. to talk to your higher ups or your potential next employer or like your next manager for that promotion about the things that you just did. That was right. not me. If I had 10 hours allotted for something, 10 hours is allotted to work. Like I'm going right. to maximize that amount of time. But instead- yeah. Others, without me knowing it, it was like six hours of work, four hours of socializing across lunch, coffees, walks, impromptu office, like pop-ins. And these are the things that I didn't know about, right? Because yeah. within Asian culture, it's, you just don't do that. Work hard, keep your head down, eat bitter, work harder, and don't make too much noise. That was what exactly. I was taught, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so because of that, other people didn't necessarily understand that not only did I have the ability to do the work, but also I'd be have I'd have the opportunity to lead and still progress even further because of my dedication to my work. And that was a stigma where there just wasn't a lot of education to really overwrite that. And that I think is still a huge challenge that we face today is that our leadership style just looks very different. Our work ethic also looks different. People need to understand that they shouldn't be looking at Asian Americans based on the things that they have done as a signifier of what they're capable of moving forward, but also just treat Asians as they do with others mm -hmm. that look similar to them. Absolutely. That they're being promoted on potential and therefore Asians should be looked at for potential as well for future roles. But when we're talking to the media, yeah, trying to get small business owners, executives, investors on the news, things are starting to get better in terms of recognizing mm. or the news organizations having a much more, con making a more intentional effort in representation. But we're still light years away from equal. Names actually still are a blocker. There were times when I would pitch and one of my white colleagues would pitch and their emails would be open more often than mine. 
So that still very much happens in my day-to-day work. But also something else that we're facing right now is the fact that within the companies that I work with, I would say we're still in the infancy of seeing Asians as founders of big companies or Mm. like big startup companies that have raised a lot of money or really high profile investors. We don't have a Michelle Yu of the startup founder venture ecosystem. And so it's, we need that, but that requires the community to come together. It requires allies. It requires everybody to come together to be talking and promoting of the individual so that we are able to start building individuals and stories up and then providing these platforms and building these platforms of people to shine so that we're normalizing Asians, Asian Americans being seen as leaders in mm-hmm. specific fields. And that really, I think, is your work. It's my work. It's it's the work of anybody who wants the responsibility of furthering the Asian American experience and the Asian American community so that we are able to normalize leadership roles. What advice would you give to somebody who want to learn how to be more self-promotional? Or even that word has some stigma attached to it. Not, I don't know about you, but I was so uncomfortable. Social media makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Not for my clients, but like for myself. Like <laughs> We've been so taught to do the opposite. So what would your advice be to step more into that and get comfortable in that? We know that there are people out there who can spend 60% of their time working and 40% of the time marketing themselves. But not just for companies, but for individuals, how do we get to that comfort level of saying, you know what? Because I think self-promotion and self-advocacy are are slightly different, right? Uh, Self-promotion to me is you're selling something. And that that makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't need to sell my something. I I should just, my work should speak for itself. Mm -hmm. But I think self-advocacy is different where self-advocacy is, let me inform people about the work I am doing and I have done so they can then make smart decisions about where I am. But if I tell nobody about it, I'm not showing people the work, then how can I expect them to make different decisions? What is your take? If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it really fall? That's what that quote was really talking about. It's hidden <laughs> in the workforce. I always wonder, I thought it was philosophical, but absolutely. I think that quote is more relevant here. If your homework wasn't seen by your mom, Did you really finish it? (laughs) Exactly. Did anybody else see it? No. Did you practice? Did you take a picture of yourself practicing cello? No. (laughs) Did you do it? (laughs) Everyone knows that you play extra loud when the door opens, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So in the workforce, what's the advice that we would give or that you would give to either small businesses who are looking to market themselves or people in the workforce who want to market their own skills? I loved your distinction of self-promotion and self-advocacy. I think that self-advocacy is an absolute non-negotiable thing that every individual, every business needs to do. They need to advocate for themselves so that they have a reason, they have a spot at the table. I have this little analogy. Tell me how you like it. Inclusion is about inviting everybody to dinner. Hmm. Empowerment is the host sending out specific messages to everybody that's been invited that they should come to dinner. Making them feel comfortable, making sure that they feel like they have the opportunity to say yes or no. Equality is about seating everyone at the same table, but equity at the end of the day is about making sure that all dietary restrictions 
as well as preferences are met. Oh, that is a brilliant analogy. I love that. That, that is so apt. You're absolutely right. It's not all the same things, but they're all part of the same experience. Hmm. Absolutely. And so I understand that for most, if not all Asian Americans or Asians overall, self-advocacy is something that we struggle with, but hmm. self-promotion is something that we actually try to run from. And I think mm -hmm. that's a huge distinction that we need to make. But when it comes to self-advocacy, you got to own it for everything that you've done. And so that really comes down to just making those specific marks that like these things happen in your life, like marking them on your social media, like telling people within your network of the things that you did. It could be as simple as, oh, I got a promotion, like putting them on LinkedIn. That's mm -hmm. self-advocacy work. And it may be uncomfortable, but the thing is, it only hurts people in the future if that isn't done today. Even me, like I've had times when it's I've published an article, but I didn't promote it. And so if that's the case, I'm like, no one's going to seek me out on another outlet. And so if I'm not the one who's going to share it, then no one's going to be able to find it. People miss out on the information that you took time to cultivate and create. That's and exactly right. Is, this is such a big part of it is that we inherently see this idea of talking about ourselves as selfish. Right. But what we don't realize is that people can make their own choices. The audience will make their own choices. If it's valuable to them, they'll want to keep reading. And if it's not, then that's not for them. That's but okay. when you yeah. are not sharing, let's say you're working for a business and you're not sharing your work or you're on LinkedIn and you're not sharing your experiences, your learnings, things that you have gained unique perspective on, then that knowledge is lost and That's no right. one gets to benefit from that. Like your value that you're providing is a value that other people gets to gain and learn from. So it's not just about you. It's actually about the value that you're creating. That's exactly so sharing, right. sharing your wins, sharing your lessons, sharing your perspectives along the way is not only not just selfish, but you're actually creating value in the world. That's exactly right. And something else that can be very valuable is the individual story too. I strayed mm. away from a really long time where I didn't want to tell people like the history of my food. I wanted to assimilate. I wanted to have the Americanized food even for breakfast. But yeah. really, it's so important for us to tell the story of our food, of our back upbringing, our family dynamics, exactly what you like doing what you do to just start like demystifying all these things that are a part of the Asian experience, because without it, everyone else, they're also lost because they may, they or may not be ready to share their stories, but it might impact them and hurt them in their lives or careers without those around them making meaningful, impactful decisions about their life and careers mm -hmm. without them knowing it. I love what you or able to do with the first child and like the third parent of the family. I want to send that to everybody. I'm like, see, <laughs> I need you to watch this so you can understand it so that we can have a much more meaningful conversation about what my leadership style looks like and what my upbringing was like. Because just me explaining it, they don't understand. Mm -mm. But also it's like, we need this conversation to be out there. So if nothing else, we're able to start these conversations. I have... My, my husband is white. He's a white Jew from Connecticut. Love him. He's a darling. They didn't grow up in a place where there were a lot of Asians. And so when I was younger in my 20s, I found myself trying to assimilate to more so their story rather than taking the time to really explain what my life was like. And it was really hard also because there was a lack of reference point for my yeah. experience and what they've experienced. And like everything everywhere all at once was like the oh. perfect story 
to open up the conversation with them and to understand exactly what was resonating with them. For my father-in-law, he loved the fact that there was a scene about the everything bagel. He was like, I loved it. I love that scene. Yeah. It's that a great movie scene. Was perfect. Yeah. But it's like the entire story happened and they were so nuanced yeah. about small business life, about the familial dynamic, the mother-daughter situation, the sandwich generation of, you know, Michelle Yu's character taking care of her daughter, but also her dad. It's like, mm -hmm. those are all aspects of the Asian American experience. Yet mm -hmm. what my father-in-law took away from it was like the everything bagel. <laughs> like, but it's like, we need that so that we can better understand exactly what is the frame of reference that individuals have and how much education is actually necessary for us to do this advocacy work so that we can lessen, we can bridge the gap of knowledge so that we're all much more equitable and are able to actually service the community, the diverse community. And so to go back to what you're saying about self-promotion, it's so uncomfortable for Asians <laughs> to do self-promotion, but that's literally my work. And I'm like, yeah. all you need to do is just to like, if you think that there's any sort of way that it could potentially benefit a business, if you don't want to do it yourself, find help and figure out exactly what is something that I can easily do today. What are the things that are like stretch goals? And then figure out like, what are the potential positive impacts of it? And then just think through, do I want those positive outcomes? Like mm -hmm. based as it compares to like the steps that I would need to take. And I think that's one of the things that I have really helped me figure out what do I do now? Because mm -hmm. as you think about what is the potential impact in the future, it is able to help you assess whether or not like it's worth it for you to overcome this fear or discomfort. I like the quote, share, not sell. Mm. <laughs> Telling your story is an act of sharing, not an act of selling. And education is the core. This is one of my final questions. I've always loved this question. Do you have a golden rule in your life, in your work, and what it is to do? Like one rule or a set of rules that this is what you abide by. I'm an Aquarius. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Aquarius five. Hi. <laughs> When's yeah. your birthday? February the 5th. Oh, three days. February 2nd. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow. I want to answer it. Rules to abide by. Lead with positivity, mm -hmm. respect for all, whatever I do or whoever I meet, keep an open mind. And regardless of how people interact with me, it's not typically a reflection of me, regardless of how they treat me. And then lead with joy. What's a question that you wish people would ask you more often? Can they come over for dinner? <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. I love well, dinner parties, but the thing is my life gets really busy and I don't oh always God. have the opportunity to like people if they want to come over for dinner, yeah. but I really love dinners and I really actually like to cook. So I would actually like for people to just ask me if they could come over for dinner. And the answer Next is usually going to be yes. And it makes me so happy. Next time I'm in New York, I'm hitting you up. <laughs> oh my God. I hope you do. Yes. We would go out for dinner or you can come awesome. over for dinner. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing all of your wisdom. If people want to find out more about you, what's the best way to do that? Find me on LinkedIn yeah. or my website, which is vansary.com. So that's V-A-N-S-A-R-Y.com. And then my email is L as in lion, Z as in zebra at vansary.com. So feel free to send me an email too. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much once again. Learned a ton today. Really appreciate your time. And anyone who wants to find out more about Vansery, go check it out. We're going to make sure that that information is in our show notes as well. And all of those links will be there. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. As Asian Americans, we are as strong as our collective community. So if there's something that you found valuable in this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media. 
And if you like the show, leave us a review and send us a screenshot and you might win some big Asian energy merch, which we give out every month so you can go out there and own your big Asian energy.